morning, Valley Point. Glad to be here with you. My name is Ben Jones, and I'm one of the pastors here at Valley Point. And it is my pleasure to join you for our current teaching theme today, entitled Rooted in Christ. And last week, we kind of jumped into the theological portion of this series, and we went right into the deep end of things as we talked about the triunity of God. And we learned last week that God is one God in three persons, and not a person like you and I are people, but in personhood. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all acting and functioning independently, but in perfect communion with one another. So there is one God in three persons. So here was what I would encourage you to do. So if you missed last Sunday and you didn't hear any of that talk, I would encourage you to go back. You can find it on our church app. You can find it on our website. Get yourself caught up because from this moment forward, that is the interpretation that we are basing the rest of our information on. God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So today we get to transition away from less of who God is, but what God is. What kind of God is he? And I think these are going to be fantastic questions for us to consider today. But I will say, before we jump into any of this, I'll confess that all of our interpretations of God and his nature all are seen through the lenses of our personal experiences, right? That's unavoidable. We, we, we can't do anything about that. Our upbringing, our family, the religion that we were taught growing up, our, our education, all of these things and many, many other factors go into formulating our worldview. And all I mean by worldview is how we see the world around us, how we interpret the world and our functionality in inside of it. And by its very nature, our worldview will have a part in defining who we think God is. Our exposure to the amount of goodness or our exposure to a great amount of evil will all go into formulating our personal ideal of what God is and who he is and if he exists at all. But I think this is important for us to consider because what we think about God goes into every decision we make in our lives, whether we realize it or not. So how do we protect against this bias? So I have my personal experiences. I'm seeing the world through those lenses. You have your personal experiences, and you're seeing the world through your lens and interpreting those things and making assumptions about who God is. So how do we take an objective look at who God is? That's what I'm going to try to help us navigate this morning. So I have a couple of thinking points that will help us navigate this. The first two will kind of be designed to get us to a common starting point, because I think it's important that we all start from a place together so that we can go somewhere. So the first two thinking points will set up some common ground for us, and then I'm going to pose a question for us today. 
And then after that, really the remainder of our talk is intended to biblically look at how to answer that question. So our last thinking point and our takeaways all is going to reflect back on the question that I'm going to pose. But before we get there, let me start with a couple of thinking points, again, to help us get to a common starting place with our conversation. So thinking point number one is this, and you can follow along with the provided notes that you were handed at the door. If you're here in person or if you're online, you can follow along on our church app or download those talk notes also on our website. But our first thinking point today is this, the primary way God has chosen to reveal himself to us is through scripture. That's not the only way that God reveals himself, but it is the primary way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And the Bible, scripture, is the inspired word of God. So before we just accept that, here's the thing that, that in weeks to come, we're going to really unpack what that means, that the word of God is the inspired word of God, but that's not our purposes for this morning. We're going to jump in that a little bit later in the series. So let's just, for the sake of argument, for the sake of our conversation today, let's assume the idea, the Christian idea that Valley Point also affirms is that the Bible is the inspired actual words of God written through humans, but it is exactly what God intends for us to know about him. And we can only know what God is like because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. So thinking point number one, the primary way God has chosen for us to know about him is through scripture. Thinking point number two, God accurately knows himself. So why is this important? That God accurately knows himself. Well, it's also a fundamental Christian belief that Valley Point affirms that God is all-knowing. He is all-knowing. And so it reasons that if God is all-knowing, then he has to know himself and know himself accurately. And if he doesn't, the whole thing breaks down and God no longer becomes, or he, he's no longer God. So he has chosen to reveal himself through scripture, and we can know that he accurately knows himself, and so he has chosen in these ways to reveal himself to us, and he hasn't revealed his entire self to us, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't know his entire self, it just means he has chosen not to reveal it all to us, and I would say today, that's probably a good thing because we already can't understand all of the things that he has revealed to us about himself. And there's plenty of debate and plenty to chew on without any more information from him. So God reveals himself through scripture. And that information is only re reliable if God accurately knows himself, which he does. So based on those two thinking points, that's our starting point for today. That's where we're going to launch. And so here's the question, the key question to consider today. Is God good? Is God good? This is important for us to ask and to answer and for you to answer for yourself because how we answer this question fundamentally impacts how we relate to God 
how we pray to God, how we trust in God. And we'll relate to him differently than if we come to the conclusion that God is something different or if God is not good or God is angry or God is vengeful or God is power hungry. Many of the different things that people have said about God throughout history. How we answer this question impacts every area of our life. The question, well, does God exist at all? And what kind of God is God? It impacts more than we realize in life. Our decision-making processes. How we view our relationships. How we look for friendships. How we look for our spouses. How we interpret the world around us all. Go back to our worldview based on what kind of God is God. God. And I will say before we go any further that it is not required for God to be a good God in order to exist. I'm sure you've heard the argument that there's no way that there can be a God because of evil. There's bad things that happen. Well, theoretically, God can exist and be any kind of God that he chose to be. Is he distant? Is he micromanaged? Is he a micromanager? Does he just lord over everything? Just, just hungry for power and control? Is, is God a, a, a create it and leave it kind of God? These aren't new questions. These are questions that have been pondered from humanity since the beginning of time. In fact, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, they embraced a religion of polytheism. Paganism, there's many gods, many goddesses to worship. And the, the main reason there were so many was because they wanted to make sure all their bases were covered. So there was all of these gods and goddesses for all of the different elements of the universe and nature so that we could make sure that we appeased all of them. But here, this was a religion really based on, on fear, because there, there wasn't a genuine respect for these gods. There wasn't a genuine love for these gods. They just wanted them not to pick on them. They wanted to appease them because they were seen as these immortal beings who sort of know their power and they want to lord that power over humans. And there was no consistency. There was no immutability in these gods. No one actually knew what made them happy because sometimes... They would favor some people, and other times they would be displeased. And no one could ever figure out what it actually was that would make these gods happy. So there was a lot of fear involved in that type of religion. And here's what uh, uh, Randy Frazee, so Randy Frazee authored uh, one of the books entitled Think Like Jesus, and it was his series of books that this teaching theme is based off of. And here's what he says about God. The one true God revealed in the Bible does not have to be good, but it turns out he is. And not only is he good, he desires to have a personal relationship with us. And this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. How do we know that God is a good God? 
Where do we find that God is a good God? Where is that in Scripture? And it's all throughout when we read the Bible. But I've chosen just a couple of instances for us to look at today for some particular reasons. And I'll explain as I read through them. But we're going to be in the book of Psalm this morning. How many of you in this room like the book of Psalm? Like you really can't not like a book of the Bible. But how many of you like particularly like reading through the Psalms? Go ahead, raise your hand. Now, tell me, what's your favorite chapter in Psalm? What's, what's your favorite Psalm? 10, 138, 23, 130. You could throw out any number, really. Nobody's going to know. Except 200. That, that's, not a, that's not a real number. Now you're just trying to sound spiritual. So the book of Psalm is great. Of course it's great. It's in the Bible. But I particularly like Psalm 46. It's, it's I guess, my favorite psalm. It speaks to me. It has for a long time. I've been able to use it to encourage others. And that's where we're going to start today. Psalm chapter 46, starting in verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And for me, when I, when I, when I read this, there's a couple of things that just jump out to me. First of all, like right out of the gate, God is our refuge. And as you take a look and study into this word, it also means the word shelter. God is our shelter. When you think about shelter, shelter isn't just a good thing. It's protection from the bad things. So right off the bat, we begin to see that God isn't just a good God. He is a protector from bad things for us. He's our shelter. God is our source of protection. In other translations, a little bit further in this verse, we, we see a phrase, he's always ready to help in times of trouble. This is also interpreted as a very present help in trouble. He's always ready. He's very present. And it also holds the meaning of being clearly proven. And I couldn't believe that what... Well, maybe it was. I don't think it was coordinated. But that very first song we began with today talked about the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Mary, the God of David. The shelter of God is clearly proven. And I think this begins to dig down into the the root system of what the psalmist was wanting us to grasp in this set of verses. How is something proven? Well, it has to have some kind of track record. You know, our personal experiences can be validation for something. Somebody else's experiences can be validation for us. But there is documented historic records that show that God is worthy of our trust, and he has done it again and again and again. 
And there's a principle within Scripture and some commands for the early Jewish households that dictated you have to tell your children the stories of God's provision. And when God would do something great, the Israelites, the Jewish people would build monuments so they can look back and say, that is where God provided. And they were to teach their kids these things, to write these things down in their home and to tell their grandchildren and generations and generations so that a godly legacy could be formulated within the family. And that carries over into a healthy Christian household even today. One of the things we should be doing in our household is sharing the provisional stories of God. Kids, let me tell you how God has come through for us and our family. Make sure you tell your kids these stories. Let's write them down. Let, let, let's, let's make these alive and a part of our home. Because what does this do? This begins to formulate a spiritual maturity at a very young age. Because spiritual maturity takes time. It, it, it takes longevity of doing the right things. But it, but it also necessitates looking back to see where God has provided, to have confidence in the present that God is going to do it again. This is uniquely my set of life verses for 2022. I've never actually chosen it for a year-long life verse. So this is mine uh, this year. And partly because I, I see that being rooted in Christ, it isn't just a present tense it's great that we are, and hopefully we are, but how to dig down a root system, a healthy root system, it takes time. There, there, there's no other way around it. Maturity, health, takes a long period of time. Looking back, and God tells us that I am your refuge. I am your shelter. I am safe. You can trust me. I'm your strength. I'm strong. Nothing is stronger than I am. Nothing can defeat me. And I'm always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea, when tragedies strike in our lives, when sickness invades our lives, when scary circumstances enter our lives, when your spouse betrays you, when your when you have a child who runs away and is far away from God and you are desperately calling for them to return. When our parents, when our moms and our dads are no longer here for us and when evil appears to be winning and evil certainly does appear to be winning. Let the oceans roar. Let the oceans foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. Let it, let it happen. Why? Because verse 10 is coming. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored in every nation, even our own nation, built on Christian principles, dishonors God. A lot of the times. He says, I, I will be honored throughout the world. It will happen. The Lord of the heavens' armies are here among us. 
and God of Israel is our fortress. So is God a good God? No. God is God. And there's no word that can properly interpret his, his goodness. He's good. He's great. He's, he's splendid. He's glorious. All of these things fall short of what God actually is. And perhaps the most meaningful quality that comes from God's goodness for us is because God is good, God is forgiving. God is forgiving. There's no greater news for us today of God's goodness is that his goodness requires him to forgive. When we trust him, when we put our faith in Jesus, his son, when we commit to following his ways, it says the Lord is near to those who pray. He will shelter those who seek after him. He doesn't just want us to know that he's good. He wants us to experience his goodness in our everyday living, which brings us to our thinking point number three. God is involved in and cares about my daily life. The reality is he isn't more concerned with somebody else than he is with you. He's not more concerned with the greatest problems in the world more than he is concerned with your individual daily needs. And that's hard for us to realize and to, to, to really believe. Like, really? God knows me as much as everyone else. So here are some key concepts, the qualities of God that we find throughout Scripture that can help us understand this and put our faith in this. There's three concepts of the qualities of God. I'm going to read through all three, and then I'm going to break down each one individually. So here they are, some key concepts of the qualities of God. Number one, God is above us. He's transcendent. God is near us. God is near. He's imminent. And God has a plan. He's provident. So let's look at each one of these a little bit more. God is above us. So God is not bound by the circumstances and the events that we are. We get surprised in life. We get caught off guard. Things knock our feet out from under us. The rug gets pulled out from underneath of us all of the time. That doesn't happen with God. He can't be caught off guard. He's never surprised. Psalm chapter 8 Verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. What are mere mortals that you should even think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and with honor. So why does God who has everything care about you? And me. The answer we find within Scripture is very simple that God loves you. God cares about you. It's in His nature. His goodness demands it, and His nature, unlike other gods, is immutable. It cannot change and will never change. 
So the next key concept for us to understand that God cares about us in our everyday lives is that God is near. While God is above all things and over all things and transcends all things, he still chooses to stoop down to our level and get involved with our everyday lives. Does he have to do this? No, nothing requires it of him. It's his nature to do so. And he can't not be near to those who draw near to him. He has to be near to us for those who love him, to those who trust in his son Jesus as their savior, for those who pray to him and seek to obey him. He will draw near to those. But surely, surely, This isn't meant literally, right? The Bible is full of metaphors, and this is one of them. God can't truly know every single person at the same time, in all ways, in all times, right? Well, let me ask you this. How many of you, and you can raise your hand, how many of you have a smartwatch device, a smartwatch of some kind? How many of you have a smartphone, some kind of smartphone, some kind of smart device? How many of you are smart Alex? Oh, oh, okay, just checking to make, I would affirm that. So I'm just checking to make sure everybody's still with me. Now, when you think about what these apps do for us, if you're a runner, it tracks your running. If you have a step tracker, it tracks your steps. If you have a navigation app, you punch in where you want to go, it knows where you are and takes you wherever you want to go. You have social media apps and it places ads right in front of your face all of the time. And it doesn't just do this for you, right? It does it for every single person in this room. And that's not even a drop in the bucket. These apps, one single app can do this for tens of hundreds of millions of people. It knows their precise location, every step they take, every click they make, every ad they watch, every purchase you make. So we believe in a God who can create the universe, who can set it in motion, who can manage it by the hour, by the second, by the millisecond, keeps it spinning and in place, but yet might not have the bandwidth and the capacity to do what an app can do. I think for us, it should be easier to grasp this concept more than any other time in history because we see it. It can be done. And while your app is intelligent, it's not an intelligent being. And it certainly does not care about you. It cares about what you can spend. And it doesn't care about the decisions it causes you to make and what pathways it causes you to go down. And when you self-implode, there's a billion other people to take your place. So the God of the cosmos, the creator God who created you, I think he can handle it. I think he can do what an app can do. God is a God who who expands far greater than we could ever comprehend. And more than an app, he cares about your decisions. And not that you're making decisions, that you're making the right decisions that are going to give you a healthy life to help you 
love others, to help you be able to receive love from others, to have self-worth in this life. And he wants you to be fully free from sin inside of your life. He's not out to get us. He's out to redeem us. He's not out to destroy us. He's out to restore us. And lastly, to help us think through this idea of God being involved with our everyday lives, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 139, verse number 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. So these aren't the words of a passive creator. This doesn't describe a creator who doesn't want to be involved in our lives. Why would somebody be so intimately involved with the creation process of you, be prone to abandon you, to, to pick on you, to make things happen in your life for no good reason. God has formed you. He has created you into a beautiful work of art. And he says, you are in my image and I have deemed you very good. That's what he says about us. He takes pride in you. He wants you to succeed. And what's our responsibility in all of this? Is to love him. To trust in his son Jesus. And to follow after him. Let his purposes be our purposes. Let his ways be our ways. And he can be trusted. He's our shelter. He has a proven track record of success. And his responsibility, he works all things out for the good of those who love him according to his will and according to his timing. And that's his responsibility, not ours. Ours is to trust and obey. His is to mark out the steps of our lives. And he has promised to do that. So here's our final takeaway question for today. What do you believe about God? It demands that we ask and answer this question. And how you answer this question will determine the direction of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your scripture, for your words. Thank you for not hiding yourself from us. Thank you for opening yourself to us and revealing to us what you are like and, and not just what you are like, but how to experience what you are like. For those in the room who are just kind of 
here investigating. They're not even sure exactly what they believe. If you even do exist, much less what kind of God you might be, I pray that you would continue to to work in their hearts like only you can. Your Holy Spirit is at work in this room today. They're not here. None of us are here by coincidence. It's not an accident. I pray that you would continue to open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to become rooted in the things that you desire for us. And for those of us who may be in one of those situations where it seems, it seems maybe hopeless. It seems like evil is winning. It seems like bad is winning. Help us to look to the past. Our experiences, ask for others' experiences. Read in your word how you have come through for humankind time and time and time again. And this is not the season where you will stop. Give us strength when we have none. Give us reliance when we have none. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.